Welcome to a new episode of Soccer and Fitness with your host and creator of the podcast, Sean Spencer. Today is episode seven, currently Tuesday, Tuesday evening. It's been, um, I've had a couple of days off, Sunday and Monday, and we're here in Houston, Texas, and the weather has finally turned. We've had a, we've had a few days of, um, coldish weather and rain here in Texas, but the sun's come out today. Um, and other than that, I've currently just had some potato tots with some spicy barbecue sauce that's burnt my mouth just before doing this episode. So I'm washing them down with some Montucky lager. So probably more information than you needed, but there you go. That sort of paints the picture for today's episode. Now, talking about today's episode, we're going to be discussing uh, failure and it being okay to to fail. Um, and I'll, I'll explain the reason why this sort of topic came into my head uh, yesterday. It actually was, but um, here we go. Let's let's just get straight into this one today. All right, here we go. So today we're going to be talking about failure and more specifically how sort of failure can actually make you successful and how failure is actually not the worst thing in the world. So those of you that are familiar with the name sort of Conor McGregor, he's a UFC fighter and he's sort of started from nothing in, in Dublin got spotted by the UFC, went on a crazy winning streak, made a ton of money in the UFC, and then went into boxing and went against Mayweather. And the Mayweather fight made him over $100 million, uh, pounds, euros. And Conor McGregor became super, super wealthy. Since then, he's had he's had a few kids and spent some time out of the, the octagon, the UFC sort of ring um, but this Saturday, he was in a fight against D- Dustin Portier after, uh, I think it was pretty much a year, a year off. His last fight lasted like 20 or 30 seconds against um, Cowboy. So if you ignore that sort of 20, 30 seconds, he hasn't really been fighting competitively in, in over two years. Um, but big fight on the weekend. He was sort of expected to win by by his fans, and and he got beat. He got beat, and it was pretty sort of conclusive. He he, he got kicked a lot on his on his calf, and and that sort of determined determined the fight. It, it stopped him from from sort of being the best version of himself. So you might be asking those that are familiar with the the episode like this is this is a soccer and fitness show and why why am I going off on a tangent about Conor McGregor and and the UFC so the reason for that is I was I was listening to Ariel Helwani that's A R I E L and then Helwani H E L W A N I who has a he has a successful podcast stroke YouTube channel where he interviews a lot of the people in and around UFC. 
Um, and again, those that are listening that are interested in hearing that interview after the show, I'll I'll put the link of that in the description below. Uh, but what's really interesting, he he interviews Conor McGregor's main coach before the fight and then and then after the fight, and they agreed this way back when that they would do it regardless whether he wins or whether he loses. Um, they would do these interviews. And Conor McGregor's main coach is is a guy called John Kavanagh, who's super intelligent, really good coach, and well respected in in the in the field. So no matter what you feel towards Conor McGregor um, or your opinions on the fight and stuff, like John Kavanagh's opinions, pretty sort of interesting to 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 listen to. Um, and I've found on the most part, he's he's pretty neutral and. And honest, even though obviously he's he's in Connor's corner. Now, really early on in in the interview, sort of the first couple of minutes, and this is this is the moment when I thought this could be interesting to sort of discuss. He's talking about how Conor McGregor is currently after after getting defeated, um, and he was saying he's pretty banged up and his legs really sore and he was on crutches and, and all that stuff. And he was saying he's sort of um, a bit disappointed that he lost the fight because he's been training for it and he's he, he put his sort of heart and soul into the fight. Um, but what was interesting, what he said was his Conor McGregor's attitude after... Like today, uh, yesterday, sorry. So today is um, today's Wednesday. This is talking about Tuesday, um, and he he was saying that he's that it that he's okay and he's and he's in good spirits. And and John Kavanagh said that like this is this is a really interesting point where it's not it's not the end of the world that that he got beat. And his attitude towards getting beat reflects that. Yeah, he's disappointed, but it's again, it's not the end of the world. And then John Kavanagh starts talking a little bit on how how the fear of of losing or, or not being able to achieve something cripples a lot of people and holds a lot of people back. Um, and again, I'll talk about my personal experiences with with this in in just a minute. But he was saying, he went on to say how how people feel silly or have the fear of feeling silly if if they don't achieve what they set out to achieve and they fail and they think the friends and the peers and the media or whoever it is look sort of down at them for, for not achieving that. And then they're, they're a failure and then they're sort of doomed and that's that's the end of the world. Where he, he was saying, like, it, it, it's not, it's not. You you reflect on it, you learn from it, and then, and then you go again, ideally. It might take some time, depending on what you do, but you can, you'll, you'll be able to go again. And he, he spoke as well, like he went outside of the fighting worlds and he was saying about people going for, for job interviews and how people can work themselves up into putting a, a crazy amount of pressure on themselves going into an interview with the fear of failing. And then ultimately they do fail, but part of the reason they did fail was because they put so much pressure on themselves. So I thought I thought this was like a, a a good jumping up jumping off point 
in terms of in terms of topic that I that I would like to sort of talk about. But again, I encourage you. I'm not going to go over it. I'm not going to like replay the interview. But I'll put the 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 interview down below in the description. And it's it's early on in in the interview. So if you have no interest in, in UFC or anything like that, but are interested in this this bit I'm talking about, it's about two minutes into the interview, and you can find it on YouTube. But again, I'll put the link down below. So regardless of what your background is, whether you're in sports or not in sports, I think this this sort of translate outside of, of this arena, this sort of fear of failure. Um, and now those that are that have been listening to the podcast for the, the past few episodes now sort of realize that I, I live here in, in Texas in in America. And America's very, very different compared to where where I was sort of born and brought up back in England to more particular uh, more specifically the north of England in a place called called Preston. Now I I've always wanted to sort of do different things. Um now whether that was to go to college, I was I was in high school, I didn't have great um, grades in high school I had no interest in 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 high school and to be quite frank the teachers had no interest in in helping me get get good grades so then when I found I had a I had a friend at the time who who was already at Preston College and, and was playing playing soccer playing football um, and it wasn't till I had a, a random encounter with him where he was he was running through through this small village that I sort of brought up in Bursko, and he I, I asked him why why are you running because he didn't really see people doing that type of thing there, and he said he was he was training to go to Phoenix Arizona, um, and then he, he explains that if you go to Preston College and you you make the 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 football team there that you get the chance to go and play in this annual competition. So as soon as I found that out, I I wanted to go to to America, and that was that was the the sort of my biggest motivation on going to college. Um, and and my sort of parents at the time they were they weren't the most supportive people. So there was, and they they said that I would fail because academically at the time I I had shown no interest and I wasn't doing particularly great, and I didn't even necessarily have the, the the grades to to get onto the course that I wanted to get on but for whatever reason I still ended up going and I ended up getting enrolled on on a on a course that allowed me to go to college um and then when I was in college it was the fact of actually getting in the team and again told over and over again like look you're not going to make the team you're not going to get in the team the chances of getting in the team are very very slim um but again, whether whether you call this, and again, I'm like 17 at the time, 16, 17, whether I was just super naive at the time or just extremely confident in myself, um, I, I, to this day, I don't know. But I never listened to anybody and I ended up eventually um, playing 
and going going to Phoenix and and we were the first team to win it in um I think it was six years, six or seven years. Um and then fast forward, fast forward, then after Phoenix, I, I always wanted to come to America and coach and uh, went to went to university two thousand six and two thousand seven during the summer. Wanted to go to to America and then and then managed to get there. And when I was there, I was always told that like you couldn't. It was impossible for me to to stay there and and to coach because you would need qualifications. You would need this. You would need that. Um, and then obviously went into coaching Man City, Manchester United. Same thing happened again. I wanted to go through my um, UEFA B and then the A license. Those that are not familiar with that, the A license is the the highest one. And and people at Manchester United, my sort of my peers and people I looked up to, said, like, what what's the what's the point in doing that? You're not you're not gonna. The chances of you passing this course are very slim. They only they only give the qualification to ex pros. And again, I, I, to this day, I don't know why I still just sort of persevered with it and and did it. But eventually, I, I, I did, and I managed to 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 get through all these hurdles. Now, where does the element of of failure come in? Is even though each one of these little hurdles that are that are said to you, where everybody sort of said to me that I can't do it. Um, ultimately, I think I've failed in pretty much every part of that. So with Preston, with Preston College, the place that I that I went, like originally the course I went to go for, they said I couldn't do it because I didn't have the qualifications, um, and I had to go on this other other course. The team, the, the that college team that went to Phoenix, I didn't get into the the first team. I had to start off. I think I was in the third team um, to start, and I had to had to work my way up from the third team into into the first team, and then eventually went to to Phoenix. Um, in terms of in terms of the the A license, I I did the eventually did the course when I managed to get the, the money together to do that. But when I did it, I did the assessment and I actually failed the assessment first first time. Now, it wasn't... Um, that's another story for another day. But ultimately, I failed it and I had to, I had to redo that course. Now, it would have been quite easy at the time and a lot of people said it. They said, "We told you you're going to fail. Told you you're going to fail." And it would have been easy then to have just gone, "Yeah, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I, I shouldn't be doing this." But I always had that that attitude. Like if I've started it, I'm I'm doing it, whether I want to do it or not. I've started it, so I'm, I'm doing it. Um. So that was so that was that. Now. Fast forward to some time in the in the championship at, at Blackpool. Now, looking back, I was I was pretty young to be to be doing that. Um, I was like 30, 31, so not not crazy young, but 
there was still a lot of players that that were older than me and then that was my first i would say proper professional gig like i was around wealthy soccer players soccer players that i had recognized from from tv and also soccer players that were older than than me um and i my main duty was I would kind of do the introduction of every day's session. I would do a lot of fitness stuff, but also I would do I would do the warm up, and then from the warm up into that first coaching session, and then from from me after them first two bits, they would then go to the first first team coach, stroke assistant manager, um, and that's that's how that's how we did did things. Now, what? We, what you should bear in mind here is when when you're working in certainly the the championship premiership it's all the same you're you're coaching or training every every single day pretty much i mean even even the day that the main team might not be in you still might be doing some sort of rehab type work with players or some extra fitness stuff with players um and what you'd have to do is is you'd be doing these warm-ups. So bear in mind, you would have players that had travelled in from all over the place. So you'd have them, some players came down from Scotland to the northwest of England. Some would come up from, from Liverpool. So it would be about like 50, 60 miles. And, um, and the Midlands. So they were driving every day from all over the place. And you would arrive at Blackpool. We didn't have the greatest training facility in in the world. It was often cold, windy, and wet. And the players would get out of the nice Porsches, Mercedes, BMWs, and they would run into the the changing room where the heating was on. And then basically, a lot of them would would dread sort of that initial phase of leaving the changing room and coming out to the field. And that first face that they would see when they did come onto the fields was was me, who was doing the, the the necessary stuff, but also the stuff that they didn't want to do. They wanted to play the the five v fives, the nine v nines, or the eleven v elevens. But I was having to do like warm up stuff to get them to get them ready. Those that have read Perlow's book will sort of understand. Um, the hatred some players have to, towards warming up. So what I would have to do is I would have to change and mix up the warm-up every day. Um, some were pretty similar, but I would have to keep it interesting. Other, otherwise, you'd lose the players. And um, I remember I would... There were certain sessions I was pretty confident with and there were certain formats that I knew... I knew I was like golden on. I knew exactly what to say, when to say it. I knew when to change them. I knew the numbers. I knew the setup. I knew everything. So the players would, the players would know that I knew what I was doing. Now the thing with with pro players is, if they can find any sort of crack or any weakness, certainly with with the guy doing doing the warm up or doing the first sessions. Then, then they'll 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 destroy you. They'll destroy you with with, with banter, uh, for want of a better word. Um, and I remember, I remember we had a, a double session. We had a session in the morning, and then we we came back for the for the afternoon. 
and um, I had I had done a warm up, um, and I and I understand not everybody here is is a um, a coach, so I'll I'll explain this the best I can. So basically, we had pretty much the plan was to do four four or five different lines of players. In front of them players, there would be five cones sort of five yards apart. So it'd just be a line of cones. So there'd be five across and then five cones going forward. Um, But each one of them cones in front or markers for for, um, Americans that know different terminology, they were different colours. So you'd have blue, orange, green, whatever, um, yellow, red, all different colours. And basically what you what you would say is I would shout a colour. So it, if, it, if I shouted white, then all the players, regardless of where they were in the, uh, in the front of the line, they would have to run, touch the white cone, and then sprint to the end. Pretty simple, pretty simple drill. And then from there, you would build it out, and then you'd do two colours, so you'd shout white and then blue. So they, they're sort of getting that change of direction. They were, were having to be... Um, cognitively sort of aware of what was going on and I I had done this this drill I've done it a few times to be honest but mainly with sort of younger players like under 16s down but never had any issue and didn't think I was going to have much of an issue with with it this time Um, but unbeknown to me the youth team were coming in for the afternoon session as well because the the manager um, at the time wanted to play 11 v 11 so he wanted pretty much the the first team and and the youth team playing against each other so they could go through different sort of styles of play tactics and stuff like that so i had lunch come back and all of a sudden now i've got i've got 30 plus players to do to do the warm up and I didn't think I knew I knew at the time that this could be an issue in terms of numbers and players waiting around, but I just made it a little bit bigger and I thought, you know what, it's only like five minutes of warm up. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Um, and anyway, I, I explained it to them the best I could, but they just couldn't get it. They didn't understand it. They di- they couldn't. They couldn't do it to the intensity. And again, I, I've seen this done with, with youth players, but but these just could not do it to the 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 sort of the the standard that was needed for it to be an enjoyable warm-up. And it, it, it failed. It failed miserably. We moved on. Um and I remember player at the time, Barry Ferguson, who had played at Rangers, played Played at, uh, um, for Scotland's international, and he was he was the captain of the club and and, and a senior one. And I, re- I remember him coming up to me at the time, and he he must have known that I was like slightly flustered or something. And he said he said you know you know what I I like about you I like that you try different things and come out of your your comfort zone with it regardless of if it works or not. So, so that was that. But to this day, um, I still speak to players who who talk to me about that that one warm up session, and that that's it. 
like during that period of time, I must have done easily over a hundred warm-ups with with match day games and with with training sessions, um, and then couple that with the amount of warm-ups that I've done just across the board ever since I've been coaching. Um, but it's that one that one session that still people remember. Um, but it, 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 it's all right. It's all right to come out of your comfort zone and it, it's okay if if something doesn't work. And again, it's not it's not the end of the world. Like I still got paid for the, for that day. Um, you you learn from it. Like now, I I understand that certain sessions and certain drills work with certain players, but might not necessarily work with with another group of of players. And that's that's sort of been my. My attitude now, moving forward, you you know that it might not necessarily come together, and it probably won't some of the time. But if you're expecting everything to go perfectly and go to plan, and it doesn't, and you can't handle that, then I think that's when when you're in trouble. Um, and then lastly, just to finish the the podcast off. Um, after after my time at, at Blackpool, I I moved over to California, and I was in the Bay Area. Those that are not familiar with the Bay Area, it is it's Silicon Valley, so it's where Google, YouTube, Tesla, uh, Twitter, Instagram, everything, all the tech companies, Microsoft, everybody is in this this smallish area, um, the Bay Area between San Francisco and, and San Jose. I went out the the coaching and I stopped. I stopped with um, a couple of sort of people. One was starting a small small startup company and, and, and one was um, successful. He, he had been bought out by GoDaddy. And, and I, I had spent, I ended up spending about three years there in, in total. And it's a really interesting area, and it's at the sort of the cutting edge of of innovation, if you like. So, for instance, they had Amazon; they were doing the the drone deliveries, um, and this was back in twenty fifteen. They got the they had the cars, the Google cars that self drove, and obviously Tesla had some of the early models. And again, this is like five, six years ago. Um, and I remember speaking to a lot of these people. Like I would go to bars and pubs and, and different hotels and people that I was sort of mixed with all had their own sort of their own businesses. And when... When I was sort of discussing what I what I wanted to do and stuff like that in terms of businesses and stuff, the one thing that came back was in in Silicon Valley, they don't really class you as a serious business owner unless you've had multiple startup failures. And their sort of philosophy with that is you've just found out ways how not to do something and you've learned and you've got experience in, in doing that. And I thought that was really interesting because 
going back to to Preston, if I'm thinking of a of a business plan, and I went to people that were close to me and said I'm interested in doing this, what do you think? A lot of them are gone. I've always said like you, you're going to fail, like it's not going to work, and if it like it's going to be really difficult, and most businesses fail within five years. You go to Silicon Valley, the attitude is very, very different. Where it's like, okay, yeah, go for it, see what happens. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's not the end of the world. So you'll learn something, and then you can you can change it. Um, and I, I even had. I had one guy who's who's got a successful business now, and he he said you're best off like you want to start as soon as possible because you want to rack up like failed businesses, um, a few of them so that you can get it out of the way because the chances of you actually making making it work your first attempts are very very slim. Like you're more the you're more realistically going to succeed if you've had a few failed businesses. So I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. And again, when you start speaking to these people, and you understand, like, you're not looked down on for something not working. It's just okay, that didn't work. So on to the next idea, uh, and that frees you up a lot. That takes a lot of the anxiety of of trying things out of the equation. So that's that's really what I wanted to to get across today. Um, again, started off with with Conor McGregor, gone through some of my sort of life experiences with it, and then what is actually happening with with, with these sort of uh, Silicon Valley companies and and the attitude of these these people is like it's okay. You can have multiple fails businesses it's it's okay you're just gonna you're gonna look why it failed reflect on it and then that's something that you will then learn when going on to your next project um and this this has also gone on to um like my personal workouts and i i didn't even really notice that i was sort of any different to to anybody else but over the past few years uh, people that have wanted to come and sort of work out with me or are interested in working out and I'll show them the workout that we're going to do for the day and a lot of them are hesitant because they, they often say well I can't do that I can't I can't do squats I can't do lunges I can't do this I can't do that or I don't think I'm going to be able to do that now my attitude towards workouts, I, I actually try and find workouts that make me nervous that that I'm not sure I can actually do. Because if a, if I fail at it, then at least they know where my cap is. I know where my limit is. The one thing that I don't want to do is do workouts that I fly through and go, yeah, that was that was okay. That was comfortable. I want to try and find limitations so I can work on them um, and it, when when I sort of moved into to doing CrossFit style workouts and I was in I was in a competition it was handstand press-ups um, I had been working on handstand press-ups quite quite a lot but I, I was unable to do this workout because of the volume there was just too many of them and I, and I just didn't have it sort of in my locker 
but it was okay. It was it was all it was okay because I knew exactly where I was. It was right. I can do fourteen of these handstand press ups in a workout, and then and then I'm done. Then that's where I I fail. But from there, then I sort of learned what exactly I needed to do to move forward, and and that's what I did. You you come away, you're disappointed at the time because it's frustrating because you can't do it. But you come away and go right. How do I improve this? And then now I have I have no issue with with that. So okay, there you go. That's um, that's today's today's podcast um, on on failing, and it's okay. It's okay to fail. So have a good rest of. Um, your day and week or whenever you're listening to this and those that are not familiar i'm co-owner of atti athletic which is spelled a-t-h-i athletic.com and i'm also on instagram resolute fitness challenge so feel free to to leave me a message appreciate everybody that's listening if you are interested in supporting the channel as um to help the content and and help me keep creating if you go on anchor fm sean spencer there's there's a little button there where you can help support the channel other than that thank you very much and i will be back very soon bye bye before we go shout out to alex stocks over in preston probably walking his dog <laughs>